I didn't have a great week. I slept most of the week. Um, feeling better. Uh, I just had, had nothing in me. <laughs> so Zach stepped up and put a sermon together. Um, I've read it. It's approved. Um, but he's able to do that in a day or two, so I much appreciate that, Zach. And uh, our youth know of Zach as a tremendous communicator, and our, our church doesn't get to hear from him enough. So here's our time to hear from Zach and how God's leading him with what he has to share with us this morning. Zach. I just can't see us leaving. We are in a position here where we can help a lot of people. A lot of people who will have no other opportunity to be helped. Those were Chad's words when asked by a reporter how him, Mary, and Tatiana planned on responding to the Canadian government's invitation uh, to escape the Ukraine earlier this week. Uh, Chad, Mary, and Tatiana are, are close friends of many of us here. We've shared meals with them. We've prayed alongside them, served alongside them. We've watched Tatiana grow up in this room through our kids and youth programs and, and youth leading. And since Russia invaded the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine through the north, south, and east on Thursday morning, the Martz family has been tirelessly working to provide the basic necessities for orphans and refugees fleeing to the western region. The logistical process of obtaining the food, uh, mattresses, water, uh, other hygiene necessities in the midst of a war are dizzying. Thousands of people uh, are fleeing the capital of Kiev, navigating fields to avoid bombed out roads and bridges. And Chad, Mary, and Tatiana are preparing to receive them and treat them like family when they get there. And I know upon thinking about this, all sorts of thoughts and feelings come to mind for us. There's a real concern for our friends. I have never refreshed a news site so consistently as I have in the past few days. For some of us, maybe that concern has developed into a pretty persistent fear that actually follows us around throughout the day. For some of us, maybe we even imagine, I imagine some of us may even be confused why they didn't take the opportunity to come back home to safety while they had that opportunity. I know many of us feel intense compassion and heartbreak with them for the people that they are serving. And I also know many of us are filled with admiration and inspiration by their courage. We see their selfless dedication to people fleeing violence, leaving everything behind with nowhere else to go. Does anybody else feel so proud to call them friends right now? Does anyone else feel something deep inside them wake up? A magnetic pull to stand with them in their good work. While I was listening to Chad and Mary on a live stream, I saw the chat box was filled time and time again with the same question. How can I help? The natural response to seeing someone sacrificially serve others is to participate. We don't even need to think about it. Willingness to be involved practically leaps out of us. We don't tally the pros and cons or talk to a mentor. We just vault ourselves headfirst forward into the action. And it shows us something beautiful about humanity, doesn't it? We've seen this already this year. When floods hit the Fraser Valley this past fall, we saw the best this community has to offer. Hot meals were cooked and shared. Boats were loaned. Homes were opened. Damaged properties were cleaned up. And money was shared freely. 
We saw firsthand an in-house record for generosity as our annual Christmas project raised almost four times as much money as we typically donate. People were inspired by the sacrificial service of members of the Fraser Valley community, and something inside our deepest selves leapt at the opportunity to be involved. Sometimes, however, we aren't able to help as much as we'd like. In a few conversations I've had with some of you over the past few days, I've heard people say, I wish I could just hop on a plane, get over there, and help. I know the thought has crossed my mind. It's frustrating. It's frustrating to be geared to jump right in and yet watch everything unfold through a screen. A friend of mine articulated this angst well when she said, it feels sorrowful not being able to do anything to help. It's intense. It hurts my heart. We are compelled to compassion. We are created in the image of a relational God. He himself is in perfect relationship as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created us to join in that relational nature. We are wired to care. And we do not want to see our fellow humans suffer. I wonder, though, if another factor runs parallel to this compassion. I wonder if deep down we want to be sure that our lives matter. We all know we were made for more than our culture's message that if you get enough stuff and avoid enough difficulty, you'll be satisfied. We've realized by now that that's a void check. We've realized that finding meaning in more comfort and more stuff is a lot more like being on a treadmill than being on a hike. There's no end destination, no final satisfaction, no mountaintop experience. Or as author John Mark Comer puts it, we are wired to contribute to the world, but when all we do is consume, no matter how great it is, after a while, we feel empty. I wonder how many of us are, are sensing that within ourselves. Fueled by compassion, and by desire to make sure that our lives are substantial, a passionate willingness to help can be found springing up all across the globe. While this expression of goodness is prevalent throughout many places and circumstances, so it is with evil. The conflict in the Ukraine is not the only example of brokenness we can witness in our world right now. It isn't even the only armed conflict. Mere months ago, after 19 years of war, Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. In China today, Uyghur Muslims are facing unspeakable terrors in prison camps. I don't bring these tragedies up because I enjoy talking about them. I certainly do not. But I want us to be sober of our view, in our view of the world we are living in. The atrocities we are witnessing right now are not unprecedented. They're consistent with the patterns of brokenness we have seen all through human history since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And we do not just see the effects of sin and brokenness in wars far away with other people. We see great pain in our own country, in our own town, in our own families. Addictions, childhood traumas, all kinds of abuse, growing economic disparity, Racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, a thousand and one symptoms of a disease called evil. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't just see it out there. We see it in here too. When we look within, 
we begin to resonate with the somber hope the Apostle Paul expressed in his letter to Timothy when he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. A man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian author and soldier who spent eight years in gulags. He spent his eight years in gulags because he wrote a personal letter to a friend that was intercepted by the Russian government, and within that letter was criticism of Joseph Stalin. This man survived World War II only to be sentenced to prison camps in his own country in 1945. During his decade of forced labor, he developed faith in Jesus. He found forgiveness for his soul, but had to reckon with the atrocities he had not only witnessed, but committed. While reflecting on his experiences, Solzhenitsyn wrote this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. He went on to write, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? A man whose life was riddled with unspeakable horrors had arrived at the same conclusion offered in the letter to the Ephesians nearly 2,000 years prior. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Today, folks, we don't have a Russia problem. We have a sin problem. In Jesus, we are offered a story that makes sense. Faith in Jesus is not a mere goodwill superstition to take the edge off our fears or a tradition held to out of fear of disappointing our grandparents. The biblical worldview provides a rational explanation for why the world is the way it is and an invitation to have hope, peace, and meaning in the midst of chaos. So what can we do? How do you and I live as people who desperately desire to help in the midst of an intense spiritual battle? Our role as Jesus' apprentices is to be restored to humanity's original mandate in the Garden of Eden, which was to rule well. In Genesis, humans were created to rule. That's what God told Adam and Eve their lives were about in the creation story. Uh, the NIV Bible translation says that God told them to rule, uh, or the NLT will say reign. One Hebrew scholar translated this word more fully as to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. Adam and Eve were placed in a wild garden. When we think of the Garden of Eden, we'll often think of a paradise, and it was, but it may not have been paradise to you or I. This garden had plants and wild animals and sun and rain and gold and minerals, uh, but no restaurants, no art, no instruments. Adam and Eve were put in charge of taking the wild, the raw, the untamed, and turning it into something useful and beautiful. That was their job, to partner with God, 
who lived in Eden with them in making something beautiful and useful of this wild garden. The story is meant to teach us that what it means to be human is to take what God gives us and partner with him in rearranging it into something that serves people. One part of the age-old question we all ask, what is the meaning of life, is found in our work, in the way we rule over the earth. Not to exploit it, abuse it, take what we want and run off alone, but to actually take the world somewhere. Somewhere worth going, somewhere good, alongside our creator God. That is our life's work. Our deep desire to help in this particular crisis is like a lighthouse cutting through the fog and chaos of our lives to guide us back to our original purpose, to welcome Jesus' reign in our own lives and areas of influence. And this is not specific to faith heroes or to professional Christians. This same letter to the Church of Ephesus that we read earlier also says this, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It may be easy to read this passage and hear the focus on Christian leadership positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and think that these are the prime jobs for the best and most dedicated followers of Jesus or those who are too sheltered to get a job in the real world. But let's look at the, let's pay attention to the details. It says that those people serve to equip God's people to do his work, which tells me they are not the primary people doing God's work. Some of us have come to believe that those of us who find a job that is secular, a non-spiritual job, need to stay out of trouble and come to church every now and then to subcontract their faith to a real equipped Christian like Gary or Chad or Mary as if they are the one that, you know, give them a bit of your money and they will take care of it for you because that is out of my pay grade. As if we think the best vision Jesus has for an electrician is to swear a bit less, drink a bit less, and pretend to sing once a week. Instead, Jesus' way is that all who follow him are spiritually alive and actively partnering with God in taking the world somewhere, each and every follower in each and every vocation. Some, yes, will become pastors for a job or serve the church in a formal volunteer position, but their job is not to do the good work. It is to equip the rest of the church, the everyday Secular, working, family-raising, sports-playing, art-making, justice-advocating people to do the good work of making this world new, one average day at a time. None of us are passive bystanders in this world. Through our everyday lives, we are deciding what this world looks like. Both our good and our evil choices are momentous, 
inviting the people around us to do the same. We are creating the world that our neighbors live in. God's kingdom, a world of holiness, beauty, justice, true freedom, redemption, empowerment. It's showing up in our workplaces, our homes, and our classrooms because Jesus is alive in us. In the Gospel of John, after Jesus' resurrection, he is described as saying this to his disciples. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. When we receive the invitation to be sent out into the world the same way Jesus was sent by God, we start to read the Gospels a little bit more attentively. We begin to look deeper into the stories about our Lord to discover his character, to understand his life and lifestyle. This pursuit of knowing Jesus and discovering him, it takes a lifetime. And even if I had all the understanding, which I certainly do not, I wouldn't be able to communicate it all in one morning. But as we seek to follow him in our current cultural moment, I want to draw our attention to two things we can learn from him. First, Jesus is moved by the pain of our world. In Matthew and in Luke, we see Jesus grieved over the state of Jerusalem. The hypocrisy, the violence, the spiritual blindness moved him to tears. Jesus described his compassion as that of a mother hen longing to bring these wayward people under his wings like chicks to comfort and protect them. To allow yourself to feel pain for those who are hurting and even for those misled enough to enact violence is to accept Jesus' invitation to be sent. We live in a culture that often views sadness as a problem to be urgently ushered away and extended grief as weakness or maybe even a defect. Yet we are given an example in Jesus of someone who loves enough to be hurt. Henry Nouwen says this, every time we make the decision to love someone, we open ourselves to great suffering because those we love most cause us not only great joy, but also great pain. The greatest pain comes from leaving. When the child leaves home, when the husband or wife leaves for a long period of time or for good, when the beloved friend departs to another country or dies, the pain of leaving can tear us apart. Still, if we want to avoid the suffering of leaving, we will never experience the joy of loving. And love is stronger than fear, life stronger than death, hope stronger than despair. We have to trust that the risk of loving is always worth taking. Jesus is moved by the pain in our world. May we allow ourselves space to do the same. Second, we get a clear picture painted for us that our faith in Jesus is meant to move us towards the vulnerable. James' brother Jesus tells us specifically in James 2 that having faith in Jesus will move us towards the vulnerable. That's the natural reaction. He concluded this section of his letter by saying, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. As the body's natural response to being alive is breathing, Jesus' apprentice's natural response to being alive is serving those in need. 
Over 50 times in the Old Testament alone, we find a Hebrew phrase, justice and righteousness. And it means justice oriented towards the vulnerable in my community, according to Hebrew scholars. More than 50 times in ancient scripture, God talks about justice for the vulnerable in our communities. And in the accounts of the life of Jesus time and time again, you can observe him spending time with all the wrong people, eating meals with those on the fringes, speaking highly about outcasts, and standing up for those without a voice. This is who we follow. Scott McKnight, a scholar who has spent his whole professional life uh, studying and teaching the Bible, says this, how do we measure true Christianity? Jesus measures it by the standard of whether a person loves God, loves self, and loves others. He sees this in people who work for righteousness and justice and who create reconciliation. The cycles of darkness in our world need to be met by firm, calm, godly resistance. We see this in the life of Jesus. Cycles of darkness met by firm, calm, godly resistance. And each of us has at least one cycle of darkness present in our area of influence. Sometimes, some of us will be positioned to resist darkness in high-profile ways while the entire world watches. Chad and Mary and Tatiana are right now. The reporters interviewing Chad comment how surprised they are by his calmness and resolve. His resilient, anchored presence is a bright public light giving glory to Jesus for the world to see. Most of the time, however, we are positioned to resist darkness in obscurity and anonymity. The seemingly mundane rhythms of day-to-day -day life are our spiritual battleground. I was reading the writings of one of my favorite pastors this week, Gary Simpson. I don't know why anyone's laughing. I, I wrote a pause here because I knew people would laugh, but I don't know. I, I found this description of the meaningful and overlooked ways people quietly welcome God's kingdom into their area of influence. He wrote this. We do it when we look after an aging parent or spouse. When we attend our children's and grandchildren's recitals, plays, and sporting events. These tasks are not burdens, but opportunities to be the people we want to be. It can be a call to help a friend repair a car, to teach a class, to go to a committee meeting. It can be seen in providing food, water, clothes, medicine, shelter, and friendship. We see it in adoption, foster parenting, caregiving, visiting hurting people, volunteering at hospitals, schools, secondhand stores, refugee organizations, and prisons. There is no social advantage or reciprocity happening, just love for Jesus and a desire to obey him. He went on to point out the crucial roles that some of us never know we play in history. There is no Moses without people hiding him as an infant. They were involved in the Exodus, they did not even know it. How beautiful is that? We may long for an opportunity to pitch in at the last moment and save the day. We may long to be alongside our friends receiving refugees in the Ukraine. We may daydream about how much money we would give if we were as rich as somebody else, or how much time we would share if we weren't so busy at work.
but we don't find an opportunity to welcome the kingdom of God in our daydreams of someone else's life. We find it in our normal, boring, day-to-day circumstances, the opportunities that we have each gone blind to with familiarity. We have no idea how significant simple faithfulness can be when multiplied by Jesus. Like a young boy offering five loaves of bread and two fish, your average non-spectacular offering of what you have is powerful in the hands of Jesus. Please, I'm saying this to myself too. I'm pleading with you and I'm pleading with myself. Do not be so focused on what you cannot do that you neglect to do what you can. A final excerpt from Gary's writing that I read this week. No one person ever carries the weight of the mission. Men and women who seem to be the sent ones are always a part of a community. We have been chosen by God to live in this time and place in order to fulfill the mission of God. In the Old Testament, a woman named Esther was facing a dangerous dilemma with lives hanging in the balance. In the midst of her exasperation, a man named Mordecai encouraged her that perhaps she had been appointed for such a time as this, that all her life's experiences were culminating in this moment so that she could make a lasting difference in her current circumstances, that God had positioned her in the right place at the right time with the right experiences to make a historical impact, and she did. On a live stream the other day, I heard that verse shared with Chad and Mary and Tatiana, that perhaps God has them where they are on purpose, that they have been preparing for such a time as this. I think that's a very fitting encouragement for them. When I think of the task at hand, the skill set required, the experience required, the character required, the faith required, I can think of nobody better to love and serve the orphans and refugees of the Ukraine. I believe Chad and Mary and Tatiana are appointed for such a time as this. That as they welcome Jesus' reign in their own lives and in their area of influence, they are doing battle against the darkness in our world. I believe that about them with my full heart. And I believe it about you too. And I believe it about me. It's time for us to be brave, church. Let's be engaged. As we take time to ponder these things, I I feel like many of us are having a deep desire to see God's kingdom in our world. I feel like we have a deep desire for that stirring in a new way. Notice that. Perhaps we all are appointed for such a time as this. So Lord, we ask you to to bless, to help, to lead our friends and our enemies. Lord, would you speak to each of us about who you are through your word and through your spirit this week? We want to know more about who you are and about what you are like. As we seek to follow you, Lord, would you give us clear minds to see how we can bring you glory in our lives? And would you give us courage to follow through? 
We thank you so much for this community to lean on. We thank you so much for your word and your guidance to help us make sense when we cannot on our own. Amen.